I have never felt like a guest in my own home as much as I have these last four years. Those are just some of the words shared by Kevin Hoffman on our last episode. If you haven't had a chance to listen, I invite you to go and hear about Growing Up Black in White, Kevin Hoffman's story. But for now, let's get into this episode with Tisa Hami. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Thank you for being here. Before we get into our episode, I'd like to send a shout out to my friends over at Patreon. Those people who are not only supporting me, but who are getting extra information in the form of training, audio, extra podcasts, articles, and workshops. If you'd like to be a patron, please come over to patreon.com backslash Sidrola Mariska and help support the work that I do here. Now, let's get into our episode with Tisa Hami. Activist, idealist, challenger. Tisa Hami is just your average investment banker turned stand-up comic turned consulting. She's the founder and principal of Corsi Consulting, which specializes in diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting and training. Well known for her groundbreaking work as a female Muslim stand-up comic, Tisa has conducted over 400 performances, speaking engagements, and training programs across the country for an array of clients, including corporations, nonprofits, and universities. Prior to her DEI career, Tisa worked on Wall Street, where she was often the only in the room, the only woman, person of color, or immigrant. She brings this experience and perspective to her work in building inclusive workplaces where all employees belong and can thrive. A passionate advocate, Tisa has been a featured speaker at a number of conferences, including Harvard Law School's Islam in the West program and the Ford Foundation's Difficult Dialogues program. She has been featured in media worldwide, including the PBS documentary Stand Up, ABC's The View, the BBC, NPR, and the Boston Globe Sunday Magazine. Tisa holds a BA from Brown University and an MIA from Columbia University, SIPA. She is working toward a better world, one organization at a time. Okay. Hi, Tisa. How are you? It's so good to have you on. Thank you, Sadie. It's good to be here. I'm so very excited to have you on today. Seeing as your background and everything that it is that you have been doing in your life, I feel that you might have quite a varied perspective on the things that we'll be talking about. But what I like to do before we actually jump into the meat and potatoes, as I like to call it, we'll start with a few appetizers. (laughs) 
Sure. <laughs> and so my first question to you right now would be, what is it that you're passionate about beyond work? What is it that you're passionate about? Mm. I am passionate about justice, equality, fairness, integrity. Those have been, I would say, the running themes in my life. Yeah, so that's what I'm, that's the short answer. <laughs> you can feel free to elaborate. That's okay. <laughs> okay, sure. I love it. I do. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for me, it was always like, what is the truth here? What happened in this situation? And in terms of human behavior, I just, in my lifetime, in any of our lifetimes, there's just been so much bad behavior and I hate to see it. I want to see people treated fairly. I want people to be treated ethically. So I would say ethics and justice are just really important to me. That's fantastic. I love it. And it seems that you are in the right field now to be able to affect the way that justice works and fairness and equity. So that's wonderful. Yeah. And I will say it took a, it took a long and winding road to get here. <laughs> you know, I think we all have this long and windy road in our lives that we right. think is strange, but I actually think that that's probably the norm for some, most people. I think only a few, very few of us go, this is where I'm going, and they go straight down that line. Everybody right. else is kind of meandering and going, hey, look at this over here. <laughs> That's true. You that know? is very true. Yeah. Most of us, whatever it was that we planned, you know, then life happened. There's, there's yeah. some saying like exactly. that that says it better than I just said it, but absolutely. <laughs> there's the life you plan and then the life you get. And then obviously the life you, you build. Yes. The life that you forge after you've decided that living by default is not exactly what you wanted to do when you went to college or high school or anything. Right. It's not, that, that wasn't really what you wanted to do. You had a lot of things you wanted to do. And, and some of us find it later and we go, you know what? This is good. This is good. This is where I need to be. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so if you think about it then, what do you think is your superpower? Oh gosh. I think my superpower is that I am not threatening, which at oh. first does not seem like a superpower. <laughs> But in a way it is, at least I think about it that way in terms of my current work. And I'll tell you why. I'm someone yeah. who basically in the end, when I work with organizations and I'm trying to figure out what's going on there so that I can come up with a strategic plan to get them to the next level. Mm -hmm. In the end, what I'm doing is asking people to trust me. Mm-hmm. And I'm asking people to tell me their stories and to tell yes. me about their organization and what is happening there. Mm -hmm. And I am the type of person, and I remember when this sort of first started happening in my life, I think I was in my 20s and living in New York, and I would just be sitting in Central Park yeah. on a bench by myself, and a complete stranger would come up and tell me their life story. And yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, unusual, a little bit <laughs> bizarre. And then it started happening again and again. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought, okay, maybe, and I thought, you know, again, being sort of a young adult, I thought maybe this is how life is. I, I don't know. Right, um, right. You know, but then I started to talking to other people and this didn't really seem to happen to others. <laughs> um, and I thought, okay, it's something I'm doing, but I wasn't really doing anything. I was right. sitting there. 
but yeah. something about me was approachable. Something about me told people that they could come to me and they could tell me things and they could, you know, that I would listen, that they could trust me with that information. And yes. so that really is an asset with my current work where I am Absolutely. asking people to tell me their stories and to tell yeah. me the things that are difficult and that they can trust me with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you say, you know, that you, that you started off saying, well, it might not seem like a superpower or, right. you know, it, you, it might be, and you're absolutely right. That might be something that people might overlook in terms of, I have this ability or I have this skill because it comes so naturally to you. Right. And the things that come naturally to us, we often think, well, everybody's like that, right? Everybody can do that the same way that right. I can do it. Right, so, exactly. Yeah, so I so understand where you go, well, you know, it might not seem like that. I think that that's fantastic. I actually <laughs> get that happen to me. Really? As well. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. I've had people, you know, just start talking to me and, you know, within minutes, I know so much about them and I go, <laughs> is this is this okay? Like, I don't know. This seems kind of weird. <laughs> but well, I that do. makes you a perfect podcast host, right? <laughs> well, because and I've always felt that my superpower was that I could connect with people. I can connect yeah. with people. And I think that it's made me, it's helped me professionally throughout my life. So I fully understand where you're coming from, which is fantastic. I love it. I love to hear That's it because I don't hear that many people say it, just like you just said. Not very many people say that, that people right. come to them and they just talk and they know their whole life story after a while. It's like, oh my God, okay. <laughs> right. Well, I, I mean, I love that, connecting with people. I mean, what's, yes. what's more important than that? Yes, it's amazing. It really is. Yeah. As we think about diversity and inclusion and equity and justice in, in that regard, I know that there are a lot of stories, especially for those, for those who are experiencing being on the margins or feeling the oppression, and also those who are working in DEI, such as yourself. And I wondered if there's something that you could share that has happened in the course of your tenure that people wouldn't normally believe did happen or can happen, but actually did happen. Mm -hmm. And I usually say that the reason I ask this question is because I know being a black woman, there are certain things that happen and they're not things that you're just going to go, that you're going to report. They're not reportable. Right. They're not reportable things, but they are things that get under your skin and that make you feel a certain way. And so those are sometimes the things that people don't talk about or even in your profession. So please give us some info. Oh my gosh, <laughs> absolutely. I, I hear you and I, I, I'll, I'll talk about my background a little bit, which is I'm, yes. an, I'm an immigrant. I'm from Iran originally. Yes. Um, came here as a child. So I, you know, you can't, when, when, when you hear me talk, you know, people yes. do, tell me, oh, you speak English so well. And they, you know, speak slowly to me, even though they've been hearing me talk. That in itself is a microaggression, which I think is the sort of thing you were, you were speaking about. Um, so, you know, there's always that sort of, a sort of comment. And in the workplace, oh my gosh. I mean, there's just, there are just 
too many stories of this that I have myself and that I hear from people, again, when I'm information gathering at organizations. I'll tell you about one that comes to mind. Um, yeah. So the, today we're, we're recording on this date and it happens to be my parents' 50th anniversary. Oh, how and wonderful. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Congratulations to them. Thank you. I will, I will pass that on. Please. And also, uh, several years ago on this same date, I started a new job. And it was a job I was excited about. And I really thought I could add value and, and, and do well with it. Mm-hmm. And when I had interviewed for this particular job, I had met with the two uh, managers in a room that was a conference room that they had told me would be converted to an office for the position I was interviewing for. Okay. And I was supposed, I I would have two employees report to me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, great. I remember looking around the room and thinking, all right, it's cute. It has a window. It has wainscoting. Sure. I I can make this work. Yeah. Um, I got the job. I went in my first day and at nine 15, that first day, Mm -hmm. I found out that I would be sitting at the front desk, that I was not getting the office. And basically, and by the way, I was getting hired as the department manager, which is, you know, a solid mid-level position. Sure. And I was now going to be basically doing double duty as the receptionist. Oh my gosh. And I found out the two women who were supposed to report to me were getting my office. What? Thank you. Exactly. What? Really? Really? (gasps) And I was, and here you are, I mean, any of us, I think, certainly I felt like I am 15 minutes into this job. What is going on? Yeah. And you know, you, you have like your first day of work smile on, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) You're trying to be nice and cooperative and respectful and friendly and all the things that we're all trying to be and make a good impression on our first day. Sure. And I'm 15 minutes into the job and this has happened and I was flabbergasted and I didn't know what to do. Right. Um, and I, like about 15 minutes later, the same, the, the boss of that department took me upstairs to just introduce me to other coworkers. Again, I'm half an hour into the job at this point. Right. And there's something I noticed, which is like myself in the upstairs suite. And this was the executive suite upstairs. Yeah. The three women at the front desks were all women of color. And then when I looked in the offices, it was all white women and, and men. Wow. And I thought, oh, okay. So this is how it is around here. Right. And the thing is, it's one of those things where what can you say? What do you say? What can you say? Yeah, yeah. I I just, and there were, there were other kind of bizarre things that first day where I almost, I actually, I remember coming home that day and talking to my sister and calling a few friends and everyone was like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. And I was like, I know. And I said, I know from all my experience, it does not get better from here. It only gets worse. It only gets worse. <laughs> exactly. It only gets worse. And yeah. I, let me tell you, Sadie, I almost quit that first day. Oh, my gosh. And who would have blamed you? Like, I wouldn't have blamed you. you and know, I, because- I wish I had. I <laughs> wish I had because I will fast forward now a couple oh, more years. So that same man who did all this. Turns yeah. out three other women had already reported him to HR. Oh, 
So that I didn't know. Obviously, I knew something was up 15 minutes into the job. Right, right, right. But I did not know the extent of it. And let me tell you, one thing I would say is follow your instincts. Even if your instinct is, oh my God, it's day one at the job. And I can just feel this is a disaster that I have walked into. Yeah. But how, how do I walk out of a job I just took? Yes. Yes. But if you're in, if everything inside you is saying to do it, you know what? Do it. Yeah. Do it. Accept the consequences because the other consequences are going to be much worse. It's much worse. Absolutely. Much worse. But again, how do you enumerate what happened on day one to anybody? I mean, you're hearing me. Right. But that's not the kind HR. And when I did eventually tell HR, which is when I found out about the other women. Yeah. When I did tell them, they were like, well, he's the boss. He decides your job. If you're not pleased with this, you can always move on. It was never, yeah, it does sound like a bait and switch, or it does sound like you were messed with. It was, well, this is the job. Take it or leave it. And so, again, I try to, now that I do this work, I try to think about it as, all of my experiences, the Mm -hmm. good, the bad, the everything, Mm -hmm. it all informs my current work. Mm -hmm. And so when Mm -hmm. people tell me about these weird, odd, bizarre, hurtful, and sometimes terrible things that happen in their workplace, Mm -hmm. I really, really do understand. Yeah. Yeah. I really do. Yes. It's so interesting because, and, and and I have that same feeling as well. When people tell me things that just seem a little bit fantastical right that happened to them I I immediately go you know what how can I not believe them unless there's someone who clearly is not believable or right they've lied to me before or you know anything like that but because there have been things that I've experienced that I probably haven't gone out and said anything about I know that there are these things that happen and the reason they keep happening is because we can't say anything about them because he is the boss because he can decide and so we endure them and in enduring them it's trauma to us it's something that we carry absolutely it is you know it's like it's like what is it that I saw? What, what is it? Death by a thousand paper cuts? Like, you know, yeah. all these cuts all the time. You're getting all this, all these things happen. And one is not going to kill you and, or bleed you out. But you get them constantly and constantly and constantly. Very soon, you're going to be losing enough blood to where you're in, a di- in dire straits. Exactly. So, Microaggressions, yep, I hear about them all the time, unfortunately. It is one of the things I train on, microaggressions, micro inequities. And to be clear, it doesn't mean that the impact is micro. It is not. That's right. Uh, It's just like you said, it's, yeah, the incident is micro. It's a comment in passing. It's a quick, it's something quick that happens. And one psychologist I actually talked to about this, he had an interesting take. He said, if you see someone do a double take, yeah. Then you just experienced a microaggression. Yeah. Something just happened. So yeah. that was interesting. <laughs> and so. And what it is, is, is that something just happened and they're trying right. to see if anyone else noticed. Right. Like, and did, you know did what? Did anybody they else register go, that? They can go undetected. Yeah. They can happen in a meeting with 10 other people and it yep. happened to you and then nine other people didn't notice. Didn't notice a thing. 
I didn't notice a thing. And then that sort of adds to the confusion of, wait, did something happen? Maybe I'm too sensitive. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I didn't even hear it right. Because look around at my nine reasonable colleagues. No one's reacting. Exactly. (laughs) And so when we train on microaggressions, we train not just the person who's targeted and certainly the offender, but also the bystanders. Yes. They have to learn to recognize because especially, and if they are in solid enough position in the company, Mm -hmm. they are in a position to affect change and to call it out, whether it's in the moment, which can be risky or later. Mm -hmm. So really it impacts, or there's something everyone in that situation can do if they know what to look for. Right. And could you give us one example maybe of something that you would teach on. So something to relate to how to manage a microaggression. So let's say you're a bystander to something that's happened. How does someone respond to that? Because I've had people ask that question before. It's like, because if even if you know, and you recognize it, and you see it, sometimes you're paralyzed, because you're like, Oh, my God, that really happened. What do I do now? you know? Right. Or the person, it's not like the microaggression happens and sort of time stops or comments freeze. The person keeps going. And so while you're sitting there going, wait, what just happened? The the meeting has continued. So it is hard in the moment. If you are a bystander to that, there are definitely things you can do. And again, I think usually, unless you're in a position to say something in the moment, something that everyone everyone sort of did that double take, yeah. um, it's often a better idea. And again, it depends on the situation, of course, but it's often of a better course. idea to speak to the person after. Right. Yeah. And if it didn't happen to you, mm-hmm. it's not that you want to say, hey, I heard what you said to Tisa. I know she's mm-hmm. Muslim. She must have been offended as a Muslim. Mm-hmm, you don't want to mm-hmm. speak for the person. It's more, right. I was offended. Yeah. You know, when you said that, I don't, I don't know where you came from with it. What I yes. heard was this, and this is yes. how it impacted me. Yes. So you want to stick to how it impacted yourself, have the yes. conversation with the person. And if mm-hmm. the person is like, yeah, so, mm-hmm. then you know what? This is a person who's probably honestly not going to change. So you just want to figure out how to set up boundaries with that person, how to figure out how to work with them as much as you need to and probably not more than that. If it's someone who's open to a conversation, that's great. Because sometimes people commit microaggressions and they know exactly what they're doing and they do it to sort of flex their power. Yep. Yep. And sometimes they really just don't know. Yes. Wasn't aware that this was a microaggression, that what they said was problematic in some way. That's where you can affect change and make a positive impact and right. and say, you know, here's this, here's what happened and and you can have that conversation. So so that's actually an opportunity to to have a positive impact on the workplace. Yes. And 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 I agree with you about that because even with macroaggressions, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, I tell people all the time I have friends who just really, they get really irate and they want to, they want to explain something to a certain person. And I said, you know what, that person's just not ready. Mm. So whatever you say to that person is going to go one ear and out the other. It's never going to make an impact. So that person's not ready. And until they're ready, they're not going to hear anything that you're saying. So you just kind of have to, like you said, create those boundaries with them and 
put them, you know, I have this analogy that I use with there, there are different people in our lives. We, we in our lives are center stage. That is our, our <laughs> life. And sure. there are people who are in the, in the, the front seats, in the middle seats, in the box seats. And then there are people who are in the balcony and those people, they get to see you, but they don't get to interact right. with you because they have proven themselves to not be worthy of being in the front seats or being in the box seats or being in the behind the scenes. They can't because the, they, the, you've created a boundary to make sure that they're up there so that they cannot affect you with whatever hurt they come with. And it's the same thing. You kind of have to go, that person's not ready. And so therefore I need to put them in the balcony of my life or maybe even in the lobby. I don't know. Mm, the but, balcony of my life. I love yes. that. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. To be in the balcony of my life or maybe balcony. outside. In, in the line. in the lobby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't have to be concerned with whatever it is that you're throwing or that you're spewing because if I don't need it to reach me on the stage. I'm busy. Right. Over here. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I love that analogy. Yes. Yeah. So it's definitely, I feel that it's definitely that sort of thing. So if we go back to this job that you had mm -hmm. where you were told one thing and then when you got there it was a totally different thing do you think you noticed it more because you were a person of color or anyone would have noticed it or do, or do any of the people did any of the people in within the company notice it yeah you know i think it's an interesting question and when it happened and my other colleagues in the office uh, were all white. It was an office of six, uh, including yeah. the, two, the two employees who were supposed to report to me. Right. And so my, when, I, when I was put at the reception desk and put in basically the lowest rank position in that office, decide, in spite of coming in as the manager, I didn't immediately jump to race. I, I, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, right. I, I thought, okay, I don't understand what just happened, but something right. just happened. Right, right. It was certainly when I went upstairs, as I mentioned, and there were three women of color at the front desks and mm -hmm. everyone else in the offices was white, that gave me additional information. And I thought, okay, I, I think I see. Right. I still okay. didn't want to jump to a conclusion because right. again, I'm trying to be that smiley first day person. Yes, of course. But it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. Yes. And I do remember thinking, one, this would never have happened to a man. A male manager does not come in and end up as the receptionist on his first day. Yep. And yeah, did I think it happened to me because I was a woman of color? Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. I, I, again, I didn't want to jump to that conclusion on sure. day one. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do. I, I, did, I did think it and I still think it now. And the yeah. one thing I will say with the work I currently do, no matter what organization I have worked with, no matter the industry, no matter anything, the most difficult experiences are always encountered by the women of color. Yes. Which yes. surprises no women of color. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it surprises. Unfortunately, it no. surprises no women of color. And um, it's so sad. <laughs> it really is. I mean, sometimes, you know, you, we laugh, but at the same
in time, you think about, man, you know, wouldn't it be just wonderful if it wasn't that way? Wouldn't it? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. If it wasn't that way. I mean, yeah, exactly. And I mean, let me tell you, you're also with all company. I hear things like there's a talent. Where's the talent? There's a talent shortage. We, we, We need to hire diverse talent. We can't find it. It's so untrue. It's so untrue. And then again, yeah, so I think there is no lack of diverse talent. And when I hear organizations say things like, where's the talent? Where's the diverse talent? There's a talent shortage. There's a shortage of diverse talent. There there isn't. (laughs) There isn't. There isn't. No, absolutely not. I'm a a black woman. I know many very talented black people. Exactly. And let's continue with this example from my stellar job that we, we've been talking about because it's, it's actually an easy example to continue with. Yeah. So again, this organization made me the receptionist. And I want to say, I have a lot of respect for that job. Yes, of and course. It's almost, Absolutely. I've been a receptionist. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of work. And it's because yes. I have respect for the job and I know it's a lot of work that it wasn't something I could take on in addition to right my duties as the department manager right but i'm sitting there thinking but as you know you you've been in that job it's a job where it comes first if that phone is ringing absolutely or if someone walks in through the door i need to deal with that and not work on our budget for the year it doesn't matter if the 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 person on the phone or the person walking through the door doesn't care if i happen to be working on the budget that job comes first yes and so here they had me with my two Ivy League degrees, with all my experience, with having been a touring comedian and speaker. Yeah. And they had me answering phones and greeting yeah. visitors and fetching tea and coffee for people. Yeah. And then telling me about a shortage of diverse talent. Yes. Really? Right. So it's what it, it sounds to me like is that there's, there's clearly a disconnect. I mean, we know yeah. that there's a disconnect. But right. the thing is that you experience a talent and instead of going to that person's talents or strengths, you go to your default, which is, well, they absolutely can't be that talented. Right. Or have that strength in that area. So let's give them more time to develop, which brings me to the promotion question which Mm -hmm. comes up a lot where black people or people of color wait to get promotions and they get bypassed they get overlooked oftentimes and then when they speak up they're told just wait your time is coming what is up with that exactly I, (laughs) I I unfortunately hear these types of stories regularly and, and there are a lot of things that go into that, including biases, both unconscious and conscious. I always say, yes. don't, don't only come at me with unconscious bias, plenty of bias is conscious. Yes. So that's one thing. But there are so many things, for example, the p- performance review process. How is yes. that really being conducted? Are the people who are conducted, it's so subjective. What, Very. What are they judging it on? Yeah. Um, and, and so there's so many levels before you can, are even in a position to be considered for a promotion. Yeah. And what strikes me is some of the stories I've heard from the people who were promoted or who got a very plum job 
Yeah. And I'll, I'll share one. Uh, I was, yeah. I was working with an organization and I, I, I was doing an interview with a, a, a man there who was, he was actually the CFO yeah. uh, of this company. Mm-hmm. And I was, I always ask, tell me about your career path and how you got to this position. Mm-hmm. So he told me, you know, he had been, his career had been in HR and he was the head of HR at this company. And then the CEO knew he was good with numbers. And so when he was, they were looking for a new CFO, the CEO made him CFO because he had been at the company a long time and was good with numbers. And he just kind of went on and he just said this very casually. And I was like, huh, wow. I have never heard a woman or a person of color, certainly not a woman of color, ever tell me, well, I was head of HR and I was good with numbers. And so the CEO made me CFO. Right. And it's stories like that that I hear. And then it's like, but I know, or I imagine, and I've heard stories of people who are in the pipeline, for example, to be CFO and they don't make it. But then this individual did. And again, it was the casualness with which he told me the story. And he, he was white male. And again, I have other stories like this, like someone who was the head of HR. He was the chief he was the head of HR at his organization and he had been in industry on the industry side in the organization and then they needed a new head of HR. And so the CEO made him the head of HR. And again, he told this, me this very casually. And then another person I interviewed was the woman who worked directly under him, who was the VP of HR. Right. And she said, I have been working in HR for over 20 years. Yeah. And when that position opened up to be the head of HR, they didn't yeah. give it to me. They gave it to a man with no HR experience. Yeah. Her yeah. colleague. And she was actually leaving the company because of this. Yeah. And what she yeah. said to me was, I saw it as the boys taking care of each other. Yes. Now, again, when I talked to the head of HR, he was a very nice man. He, his story was not, gosh, look, I had no HR experience, but they made me the head of HR anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's yes. different people at companies. And I always say this also, there are multiple realities within any organization. Oh my goodness. Speak to each person and you get Exactly. A and you'll get a different story. And this woman who had a 20 year career in HR was leaving because she didn't get the top job when she saw a man with zero HR experience get it. Yeah. So again, these are the types of stories I hear. So when we talk about, okay, like sometimes I hear doubt when we start talking about promotions within companies and are people of color or women quote unquote ready for that position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, they are. And these are the types of stories I'm hearing. If you're willing to promote someone with zero HR experience to head of HR, then then you're obviously open to non-traditional career paths. Yes. You're obviously, you're obviously aware that people can have a talent in a specific area and that talent just needs to be tapped into you're clearly aware of this exactly but the measure the way that they measure it for one person is different than the way they measure for another you know i i hear all the time that well a white man will apply for a position he thinks he's 40 percent eligible for right a woman has to have it where it's almost like 90 to 95% eligible for according to the job description. Exactly. Because she knows that she just has to have that, right? And a black person has to have 
110% Mm, (laughs) of of what's in that job description in order to be considered for that job. Exactly. And this is real talk. This 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 is real talk. Exactly. And I, I mean, one of the things I encourage any organization to look at is look at your job description with that DEI, look at your job descriptions with that DEI lens. Who are they attracting? Because there are times I read job descriptions and I just think, okay, they're looking for a man or whatever. And it's not that obviously they didn't write anywhere in there that they're looking for a man, but something about it just comes through. Clearly comes through. Yes, exactly. And so that's the sort of thing you need to look at. And also, do you really need the education that you're asking for? That's another question to ask yourself as an organization. And sometimes I see things like, for example, you need to be able to lift 50 pounds of boxes or something like that. And again, I I understand that sort of standard language that goes into certain certain job descriptions, but does it need to be? Does this person really need to do that? Because anyone with a physical or many people with physical disabilities, you may have just taken them out of the running. Absolutely. These are the things to think about. It's not just, and I know jobs tend to get so many applicants, but try to view it as not as who do I cut, but how do I include? How do I include? How do I include? And then how do you get the talent that you say is so scarce? Exactly. (laughs) How do you actually get that talent in? You know, there are talented people out there, but they may not have the 20 years experience that you're looking for. They may actually have five, but that five could be, that could be their superpower. Who do you exactly? And how would you know if you never called them in? Never even. Exactly. Um, So one thing I tend to hear from organizations is, we want to hire for diversity, but we don't want to lower the bar. We don't want to lower our standards. And that's so, that's, that right there is a bias. That right there that, is. Exactly. <laughs> right there. Exactly. You've already started with bias. So how, right. you know, we've, we've got to work on that first. <laughs> exactly. You, you, you nailed it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I just think even if we found, you know, connected them to, the right, you know, the job listings, uh, associations, et cetera, to find that diverse talent. And by the way, I'm using the term diverse talent and I I hate myself a little bit because I I don't, I don't love that term, but I don't either, but I understand. Yeah. But sometimes I think if we get underrepresented minorities into this job, into this organization, what are their chances? What are their chances when they've already, uh, it seems, when they're already being viewed as someone who had to lower the, the, bar. the bar had to be lowered for. Exactly. Yep. So yep. what if they are stellar? What if they are outstanding? Will that yep. even be noticed? Would it even be seen? Exactly. Would it even be seen? Yeah. Exactly. It's, yeah. So it starts so early in the process and unfortunately yep. it continues. And then we see the all white, all male leadership teams mm-hmm. so often. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So in your opinion, we've been talking about the bias and we've been talking about the bait and switch and we've been talking about the, the microaggressions. What, what are some opportunities that, that companies are just missing that could actually maybe propel things forward a little bit? Like what, what opportunities do you think we could bring to the table and say, look, if you could just do this, maybe we could change this, 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 and this. And then we, you know, it, it would remove some of these things. Yeah. 
I, I love that because I love that because there's so there's so much that organizations can do. If anyone wanted one piece of advice, yeah, the one thing I would say is do a salary equity study okay. and make sure, and no matter anyone's race, gender, etc., that mm-hmm. there is salary equity in your organization. Right. Um, and I'm thinking of one study that came out that I, I wish I could cite the exact, I, I can't remember the exact details of it, but there was a study where the researchers, without knowing um, any, anyone's demographics in the, in yeah. the organizations, they yeah. looked at different organizations and just guessed who the black employees were based on salary data. Wow. And then they went to LinkedIn to verify based on photos. Wow. And they were correct. Wow. Yeah. Did they say how many, what percentage of the time they were correct? I think a lot of the time they were correct. And again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering. I'm sure, I'm sure the they study. were. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, wow. I think it was a lot. And yeah. so again, one thing you can do is do a salary equity study and make the commitment to bring right. up the salaries that are too low. Yes. Because one thing I hear, again, you know, talking about recruiting and recruiting uh, underrepresented minorities, the yeah. next phase of this, which I often hear, once people feel like they've gotten the recruitment right, is, well, we hire them, but they don't stay. Ha <laughs> ha. Well. <laughs> right. So now we're I mean, talking about. <laughs> right. And so now we're talking about retention. We're talking about inclusion. And so yep. diversity and inclusion, those are terms we use together, but they're actually Two different, different concepts. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because you can have all the diversity you want and not have yep. inclusion. Yep. And that that's a possibility. Yes. So yes. you you need to actually listen to everybody across the board, no matter uh, certainly diversity dimensions, but no matter their place in the hierarchy. Yeah. Um, so definitely a salary equity study is something I would recommend. Uh, another thing is, and we talk a lot, and I, I, I'm glad we're doing this, talking about inclusion and, inclusion and belonging. Belonging yes. is another word that's come up in the conversation now with DEI, and I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I want to talk about, and I've been, I will say, unpopular at times for saying this, but I think oh, it's boy. important, and I think it's catching on, yep. which is you cannot have inclusion and belonging when you have sexual harassment. That's right. You cannot have inclusion and belonging when you have workplace bullying. Yep. You cannot have inclusion and belonging in a toxic culture. Nope. So sometimes people talk about DEI like it's something over here on the side. Right. It is throughout the organization and it cannot exist in the presence of a toxic culture. So you asked, what would be my quick tips? And that doesn't mean they're quick to execute or quick to implement. They are not. Nope. That's right. But clean up the toxic culture. Culture. Yep. That's actually something that I was just speaking to someone else about. I was saying companies cannot have, before they decide that they want to do diversity, equity, inclusion training with anyone in their company, they must consider what their culture is like. And they must put in the effort from the top down to making this culture, making everything that they want to implement part 
of the culture and part of the can make it part of their um their oh my words ex escape me right now <laughs> um but make it part of what the company is working towards make it part of the core values of the company otherwise what happens is you you have this these trainings and some people will get it grasp it others will push against it and you'll have people go back to work in this culture that's still there then some people will leave maybe those who grasped it and realized i can't stay here and now you still have the same culture and now you have another diversity and equity training and some people will grasp it and some people won't and those who did will likely leave because the culture of the company has not changed it is still toxic just as you say exactly 100%. exactly and you know i'm i am a dei trainer so yes i always think about i i feel like a, a new research study is coming out all the time about uh, DEI trainings are ineffective. And of yeah. course, as a DEI trainer, this is not good news to me. No, but, but it's when not I, you. <laughs> right. I, when I actually read through the article, or, or I mean, it, it's, it, it's not about uh, obviously the article or the research or anything like that. I think about, again, I've been on the industry side. I've been the person in the other, you know, the employee at the company yes. so many times seeing yes. the, things that are happening that are not in promotion of inclusion and belonging. Yeah. So where I, I think where DEI training is not necessarily effective is when that's the only thing you do. You do one that's, training that's on unconscious do. bias. That's right. You, you think, all right, well, we did that. We checked off it the should box be good now. or whatever. Yeah. Check exactly. Again, exactly. we'll do it again next year. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it really, training needs to be part of an overall effort. It's not yes. just a one-time standalone thing. What I'm yes. seeing now from, from uh, organizations, which I like, is some is there are organizations who are like, hey, we recognize that a one-time training isn't, work, work, isn't going to work. So definitely have it as yep. part of your overall plan. And even with training, they're doing it as a series. So an, as an ongoing training yes. series that builds one concept, yep. builds on another, builds on another. So that's definitely a better way to do it because the message is reinforced. And Absolutely. another thing about training is whoever your trainer is needs to get to know your company. They should be doing yes. a needs assessment. And please, assessment, organizations, yep. please make sure you budget for that because it is important and it matters. Because if that person comes yeah. in talking at a level, whether it's too simplified or too complex for what your for where your organization is at, it's yep. just not going to land. So they really yeah. need to get to know your organization through a needs mm -hmm. assessment. And then going back, I'll, I'll still carry through with this example of, of that job. Um, yeah. <laughs> so as part of that job, we had an all staff retreat one time or yeah. annually. And yeah. one of these, we were just the custom at that organization was you, you sat at tables at this retreat and it was the custom was you sat with your group. So I was right. there sitting with my group again, uh -huh. by then I had reported my male boss to HR and learned that others had as well. Right. And we had a trainer come in for a workshop on leadership. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we were supposed to talk at our tables, you know, about mm. whatever leadership questions came up. 
Mm-hmm. And I looked around at that table and I looked at our male boss and I looked at my colleagues around the table and I knew that myself and two other women at that table had already reported him to HR. Right. And now we had to sit there and have a polite conversation about, about leadership. leadership. Wow. Is that the trainer? Who's, who's fault, so to speak, is that? You know, is that the trainer's fault? You, you know, you know what I mean? Right. And then people say training isn't effective. Right. Well, it's not it that. was just it's, the wrong thing. Right. It, it was, was the, the wrong, wrong solution yeah, yeah. for the wrong problem. Yes. So training is best when it's the right solution for the problem the it's right. trying to solve. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my yeah. goodness. Well, you know, Tisa, if we think about this, you know, we've talked about all these things. Now, if we think about this, let's say we go down the line a little bit. We go down, let's say, two years from now. And, you know, you and I have actually met in person, which would be fantastic. But you and <laughs> yes. I have met in person, and we're having a celebratory drink. What, in your opinion, has happened in the business world that would make us be happy enough to mm. have this celebratory drink together yeah wow what a what a great what a great thought uh wow <laughs> something positive to think about in this bizarre year um, yes <laughs> i would say that we have seen better dei practices in organizations we've seen more diversity on boards in senior leadership yes throughout organizations yes. and sometimes you know i have you know, uh, colleagues who are other DEI uh, consultants, mm -hmm. who I've heard a couple of them say they see their goal as if they, if that if someone resigns on a if someone resigns on a company board and a black employee is 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 placed is given a, that board seat, they see that as success. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I certainly agree with that. I I would still say it depends who it is. Yeah, um, of course. You know, it still depends on the person's character, their ethics, yes. all of that. It's not just, yes. let me just select this demographic. That's not good enough. Sure. So it definitely depends on the person. Mm -hmm. And the top, though, I don't want to say though, the top matters who, who's at the top of an organization. Mm -hmm. What also matters is who's in all the, all the levels throughout the organization. Right. Sometimes when I talk to people and I interview people at, at companies, I think, Sometimes I think my job is just to make the workplace tolerable enough that black women won't quit um, wow. and, yeah. and won't quit yeah. without having another job lined up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I hear that too often. And again, just to yeah. really emphasize the point, it's not because of them. It's because something yeah. about the culture is pushing them out. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. So to me, success is at all levels of the organization, at the very top and throughout, and sometimes yeah. just keeping people in, in their jobs so they can have their livelihoods, they can have their yeah. insurance and all of that. Although I will say, I wish we would separate health insurance from uh, having a job, from yeah. employment. I, I wish that were yeah. separate. Uh, that's yeah. a, maybe a different conversation, but maybe that's not because it is. <laughs> right, but it is tied into equity. Um, it is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say I would love to see us celebrate because we see positive changes throughout an organization. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. So if you could step into my shoes, is there anything that I haven't asked you mm -hmm. that you would have hoped that I'd asked you? 
Oh gosh. I mean, this was great. This is great. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think that we got a lot of good information out there and that, and that's the whole point. That's my whole, that's my whole point, you know, right. Bring things to light and then bring solutions that can be workable. And I think that that's what you did. So what is something, so, so let's wind it back down. Let's bring it back to a little bit of lightness again. (laughs) Sure. What is something you hope people will remember about you when you're gone? (laughs) Um, Oh gosh. That she fought for what was right. Yeah. That she fought for the truth. Yeah. Well, it seems that you're on that path. So I think that, that you're, you're, you're living up to that, which has been, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I try. And again, it doesn't always make me popular. Yeah, it's but, not about popularity. <laughs> right. I, I, I always say, I, or I think another consultant said this to me once, that you, no one goes into DEI consulting to be popular. To be popular? <laughs> now, that's not, nope. I look, I, I am, I, I, you know, I, I've been told I am a kind person. I'm tactful. It's just you're delivering sometimes tough messages. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And doing them and still in a kind way, a tactful way, a way that yeah. is actionable that people can hear and listen to. Yeah. But yeah, these are difficult. These are uncomfortable truths, uncomfortable conversations, but ones that we need to have to make progress. Absolutely. And that's what I said all the time. I said, you know what? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. going to be frustrating. It's going to make you angry. It's going to make you sad. You're going to go through, you're going to run the gamut of emotions. It's going to do all sorts of things but at the end of the day it's all worth it exactly all worth it and you got to go through it because it's like exercising if you don't feel your muscles (laughs) ache then you're not doing anything (laughs) right exactly you're not doing anything exactly oh my gosh so just to close it off then tisa what is your favorite dish since we have been dishing all this time what is your favorite dish my favorite dish, like my favorite That's food. Yes. Oh my gosh! Can I pick ice cream? Is that yes, a dish? You can. I love ice cream. I just what I kind? Can't. What kind? What's your every, favorite flavor? I like All every kind except when it has nuts in it. I don't <laughs> like. I don't like nuts in things. Like I like I like them on their own, but not yes. in like brownies or cookies or ice cream or what. So. Okay. Yeah, ice cream. Ooh, love ice cream. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love it. Oh my goodness, Tisa! Thank you so much for being on today. I am very excited for the audience. I'm sure that they will gain a lot of value from everything that you've said. Now, where can people find you? Sure. Well, thank you, Sadie. It was a delight to talk to you today. Yes. And you. People can find me online. My my consulting firm is called Corsi Consulting. So K-O-R-S-I consulting.com. Okay. And I'm also on LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn and Facebook. And you can always reach me by email, T-I-S-S-A at Corsi Consulting.com. Awesome. Well, we will certainly put that in the show notes because I would like people to find you so that they can hire you to help them with their DEI issues. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Sadie. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share because it's no fun when your friends don't know what you're talking about. Next time, we'll be talking to Reginald Colas about what it's like to be a retired vet turned artist. See you then.